much raises the issue first. And you're going to see things that come up in Acts that will astonish you. Because here you're dealing with a church that at this point is probably five to seven years from the time Jesus was resurrected. These are early, very early stories. And yet you see the fact of how Satan comes in and division comes in. And it's so important to see this. And so we just got done studying Cornelius, this fantastic event where the Holy Spirit effectively now welcomes the Gentile world into our church, into the body of Christ. The church is no longer a Jewish church. The church is now Gentile and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised. They are all together in the body of Christ. And so on, on the eve of this, you would think, would you not, that the church would be so thrilled, so happy. This is wonderful news. We have now expanded. The word has grown. We're outreaching the world. What could be better? This is fantastic news. And now you get back to church. Brother Peter gets back, ready to deliver this news. And what does he find? Don't put your happy shoes on. We're not that happy. In fact, we're a little angry. You ate in the home of uncircumcised men. And when you use the word ate at that time, that was one of the most intimate acts that you could do. You know that the Jews adhered strictly to kosher dietary rules. You went into the home of an uncircumcised man and you ate with him. And so instead of this great, wonderful celebration at this incredible moment in the life of the church where the Holy Spirit is now blowing it out to the entire world, there is division. There is division. And so you say to me, Brother John, how does this happen? Weren't these people saved? Weren't they Christians? Oh, brother and sister, yes, they were saved. Yes, they were Christians. But you know what? They still have feet of clay. And this is a lesson for us. What it means is that as we go through our Christian walk, there are going to be times where we make mistakes, where we don't see the big picture, uh, where we will fall. And this is an example where good people were wrong. We're wrong. And you'll see how Peter, under the unction of the Holy Spirit, comes in and addresses this issue. And so if you turn with me to Acts chapter 11, verse 1, the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Wow. Wow. How dare you? 
how dare you? You can realize the degree of enmity between the circumcised and the uncircumcised, between the Jew and the Gentile. It's hard for us to get a fix on this today, but this was an enormous gulf. And you see this, you see this here, evidenced in the fact that they were ready, really ready to do a job on Peter. And, and one of the things that's interesting to me is that they did not have the benefit that we have today of Paul's writings on this issue. Because Paul really uh, was the spiritual genius that put, really put the flesh on the skeleton of the gospel and understood these doctrines. And so Paul writes about this very issue, this stumbling block of an issue, this issue about circumcision. And if you have your Bibles, if you turn with, with me, please, to Romans, as he writes on this topic. Romans chapter 2. Verse 25. And by the way, uh, keep a prayer for me too today because as you notice, I have a pretty good bruise on my chin. And it's not that my wife and I had a fight. It's that I went about 10 rounds with an oral surgeon. Uh, and the oral surgeon won and I have a mouthful of stitches. So, <laughs> if, if my speech is a little bit funny, you'll give me a break until the stitches come out. Uh, verse 25, circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. Amen, brother. You understand it. It's not the physical act of circumcision. That's not the fact. That's not the righteousness of God. The fact that you, that you are uncircumcised but follow the law and take the, on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that's what counts. And yet these people in the early church were so bound up with the fact of the law, yet at this point, and the rights of circumcision that this became a stumbling block. So Peter, facing this issue, which is a critical issue and an issue that will confront this church again and again and again. This is not a one-time issue. It will be a multiple issue. You will see it as we study this, and we will go through it in subsequent events. Even this issue of eating with Gentiles, you will see it come up again. And frankly, one, one of the people who will, will unfortunately fail, fail a little bit at this will be Peter. And Paul will chastise him. And we'll get into that. You'll be surprised when, we, when you see that. So that even a, a man who has this great elevated apostolic knowledge can still fall. And so Peter begins to explain and define what went on. You have to know what was there. And so now he's, we're, you know, I want you to think as if we're back 2,000 years ago. 
and he's walking in, it's as if he walked in here, and defending what he did, what God did, and I think it's so eye-opening. Verse 4, Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it happened. Circle the word precisely. There's a reason why <clears throat> that word is used. Peter did not give them his version of events. He did not give them his version of, the, of events. He was very careful to note that this was the Holy Spirit that had inspired this. He wanted to make certain that they saw the Holy Spirit in every step of what took place. And so he was careful precisely to delineate exactly how God had made this happen. And so that word is not just an accidental word. Verse 5, I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision. And now he begins to talk about the vision. I won't repeat it, but the blanket coming down with all types of animals in it, clean and unclean. And he's being told to uh, get up and eat. And he says in verse 8, Surely not, Lord, nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice from heaven in verse 9, a second time, says, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happens three times. He tells them, three times God gave me this vision. And then in verse 11, Right then three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. Verse 12, The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. This is important. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit. It wasn't me on my own who decided to go with them. But as I'm seeing this vision, the Holy Spirit came to me and said, there's three men at the door. Go with them. And that's what he's now he's laying out. Again, he's putting another leg of the defense of why this is God's work, not Peter's work, not man's work, God's work. Another leg on that defense. And he continues. These six brothers, the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with, with me. And we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house. And that angel had directed him to ask for Peter. Another leg of the defense. This man had a vision from God. This man's vision from God told him to ask for me. And so again, this wasn't a man acting on his own. This was God interceding to bring this together. He said, <clears throat> Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. Verse 15. As I began to speak to this man, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Circle the word beginning. This is the first time in the Bible that you will see Pentecost referred to as the beginning of the church age. This is the first mention of the terminology beginning. Peter is saying at this point, the beginning of the church occurred in Pentecost. That's what he's saying. 
Okay? And so he's saying, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. As he had come on us at the beginning. And remember, he brought with him witnesses. He brought with him to Cornelius' home six Jewish guys, brothers, believers. He brought them with him to the house. And so these men all saw the Holy Spirit descend on Cornelius and the household exactly as it had in the beginning at Pentecost, meaning they spoke in tongues. That was the confirmation. They spoke in tongues. Now, now, God was very clear through the Holy Spirit why they spoke in tongues at that point. Because you can see here what would have happened if Peter went back. And you know what? He said they were great. After I got done speaking, I asked how many accepted Jesus and they raised their hands. They raised their hands and they said, yes, we, we, we believe in Jesus. And they all want to join our church. And you know, what would they have said back at the home front? Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. They, don't, they aren't part of what we're doing. Remember what happened to us when we were, when we were at Pentecost? That's how we knew that, that the Holy Spirit had descended. How, how do you know that these Gentiles had the same gift that we had? How do you know that? Oh, here's how I know. The same thing that happened to us, I saw with my own eyes, happened to them. This is, again, one of the four or five examples in the New Testament where there's a specific reason for the tongues being identified. Okay? We go over this. It'll come up again. There will not be a couple other examples. There's many examples where you'll see the believers being accepted, and there's no mention of tongues. All right? So the point is there's a very solid reason here why tongues were necessary to confirm to the old Testament Jewish believers, gentlemen, women, these Gentiles are part of our church. All right? Now, moving on. Then I remembered, he said, then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? How could I oppose God? I'm just a man. Yes, I'm a Jew. Yes, I'm circumcised. But don't you see, it doesn't matter. They have the same gift that we did. The Holy Spirit is confirmed. They are part of our church. <clears throat> when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Amen. Do me a favor, take your pen and circle. They had no further objections. And put a star and say next to that, not true. Father <laughs> John, what are you saying? 
Not true. Not true. At that point, they didn't have any further objections. Or at least the ones that were speaking didn't have any further objections. But trust me, trust me, they had plenty of objections. And <laughs> Mary Lee says, and they still do. They had plenty of objections. And you're going you're to see these objections come up in the next chapter. And it's going to come up again. All right? And this again, this, this collision, this collision between those who are Old Testament believers who are yet in the, call themselves Christians and yet can't get over the fact that God would have one body in, in uh, Jesus Christ. And this becomes such an important issue theologically that Paul, and this is why you have to really love this man, Paul, because he was a spiritual genius. He had ability because he got it directly through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus. Remember, the other apostles... They, they sat at the feet of Jesus. They were there together. But remember Paul? He made it a point. No man, no man gave Paul his theology. No man. When he was saved on the road to Damascus, when he was struck down, and then subsequently spent months out in the Arabian desert, he received his theology directly from Jesus. Directly in the Holy Spirit, one on one. And if you have any doubts about this, if you have any doubts about this, read his writings. And for example, right now, turn your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians, chapter 2. <clears throat> Ephesians, chapter 2. Verse 11. And you want to make a note of this also, because this becomes an important theological point. Verse 11, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once you who were once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments, with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them, in God, through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him, 
we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Amen? Amen. Could you make it any clearer? One body. One body joined together through Jesus. Through Jesus. All those commandments, all those regulations, all those rules that you never possibly could meet, that you never possibly could succeed, that really all it did was show you your unrighteousness and your sinful nature, all of those now are completed in the body of Jesus Christ. You're united with him. Through him, his righteousness is unveiled upon you. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture, an understanding of how we, as Gentiles now, stand fully clothed, fully clothed and equal to the Jews. And how they, their, their stubbornness and refusal to understand this issue really hurt the early church. Really hurt the early church. And when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. This is an important issue. You'll see it come up again. This is one of the cornerstone issues of Acts. And you see as the church develops how the church comes to terms with this. And so we now, Luke brings us to another portion of Acts where now I refer to the next portion of Acts. The subsequent events to the martyrdom of Stephen. When that dear godly man was murdered. Murdered. And Paul was there acting as a part of it and consenting to it. I'm sure that in a subsequent visit on the road to Damascus, when Jesus came down and appeared to him, I'm sure, I'm sure as part of his repentance, how many times must he have said, Lord Jesus, forgive me for what I did to that, that man. Forgive me as how I, I was part of that mob and how that must have affected Paul. How the death of Paul affected him. And how the, the death of Stephen affected him. And what we're going to see here now is the impact of this death in so many other ways. Because what we're going to find out is that through his death, as a result of the persecutions that started in Jerusalem, because you remember that it said right after that, Paul was breathing out threats. Remember that? Breathing out threats. He was so incensed that he would go house to house, pull men and women out, put them in jail. These were persecutions. Can you imagine what it had to be like? Well, what happened was the church fled. It left. People were frightened. They didn't want to stay around. They didn't want to be murdered. They left, and they went all over the world. And so when I think of this, what happens next, I think of one of my favorite portions in the Bible and a, and a verse that every one of you should have on your refrigerator. And it refers to the fact when Joseph, after 30 years of being sold into slavery, put down in a ditch, removed from his family for 30 years, finally going to prison, in Egypt, and yet finally being restored and has a chance finally to see his brothers who did it to them, 
who did it to him, who put him there into slavery, who were responsible for putting him into prison, what does he say 30 years later when he looks at them? He says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Ladies and gentlemen, this is something you should put on your refrigerator. All right? Hayes said it this morning. You're surrounded by evil. You are surrounded by evil. I said in the morning class, you know, you get up and you breathe, you put your first your foot on the ground. You, um, immediately, the minions are out after you in so many different ways. People are, you're going to come across people who are so mean to you. Events that <laughs> conspire against you. You have health issues that are dragging you down. You open the newspaper, the news is, is just weighs you down. You say, well, then you turn to the financial pages. Oh, don't do that. Don't ever, don't ever turn to the financial pages. That'll really get you down. In other words, in every aspect of the life that we live here, you're being tempted in every possible way. And what I want to say to you is remember, remember that. As Satan has his minions, as Satan has his messengers, as you are surrounded by evil, what you meant for evil... God meant for good. Amen to that? Amen. Amen to that. Amen to that, I can tell you. And so here we have these poor, defenseless Christians who did nothing except worship Jesus are now scattering to every part of the world. How can this, how can this evil, how can this be good? How can this be good? Well, let's see. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. At this point, they're telling it only to Jews. Remember, it's a Jewish church. They're telling it only to Jews. None of them, however, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. A great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, what, would, what is the identity? Who is the identity of these people who left Jerusalem in the middle of the night and scurried away in fear. We don't know. There's no name. There are no great apostles. There are no great missionaries mentioned. There are no great people whose names are listed in the Bible that we can look at. These were everyday common people who left under fear and fled. And yet I want you to see how the Lord blesses the efforts of everyday common people who reach out to do something on behalf of the Lord. These people, as they traveled to the four corners of the world, brought the gospel. And now they brought it to Gentiles. They bring it, they bring it to Greeks. And as they do this, they must have just very simply said, you know, you need to accept Jesus as your Savior. We saw Jesus. He was raised from the dead, and he lives again. He's the Son of God. I can just imagine the simple message that they must have given. 
They weren't any great apostles, and yet look what God did. He honored them. He honored them in their simplicity and in their humility. And look at the, event, at the effects of this. The effects of this is that the gospel now is blossomed through the entire world. It's blossomed. Uh, and, and, you know, I can just imagine that for some of them, it probably was very difficult because I'm sure some of them heard this from Satan. Come on. You're going to get up and talk about Jesus? You left in the middle of the night. You fled. Where were you? If your faith was so great, why didn't you stay? You don't, of course you think they, they didn't hear that. You don't think Satan worked on that? Heard that? But you see, they couldn't be stopped. They couldn't be stopped because the Holy Spirit was with them. And they said in their, in their simplicity, I'm sure they raised their, their hearts to the Lord and said, Lord, you bless our efforts. You touch what we're going to do, and I'm sure that's exactly what happened. And you see, the, you see the result of this. You see the results of humble people reaching out and serving God in their, in their way. And so this is a lesson for you. This is a lesson for you. I know there are people here who, who are saying, you know, I, 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 wanna, I would like to serve God. I'm not sure how he wants me to work, what he wants me to do. I'm going to assure you again, brothers and sisters, that in the most simple things that you do, you are serving God. When you, when you advance the gospel and you show love to your family, you're advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you do it in your neighborhood, you're advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you're at, you're at your country club, people see how you act. People see how you walk. When people watch you play golf, I hope when people watch you play golf, somebody said the other day, I saw somebody go flying by me at about 90 miles an hour uh, with a cart with a fish on the back and a cross on it. And I, and, and I said to somebody in, in, in one of my Bible studies, you know, when we do that, when we put these emblems, we got to be doubly careful, <laughs> right? We got to be doubly careful. Because now we're not just driving a car with an emblem. We're representing Jesus. That's a heavy responsibility, isn't it? You're, you know, we, and so I want to assure you, I want to assure you again that the very common people that fled Jerusalem were used as great missionaries. And that should, that should raise up your, your thoughts. That should raise you up to say, God, if you did that with them, what could you do with me? He could do much with you. He could do much with you. And so now, news of this, news of this great evangelism gets back to Jerusalem. And I want to tell you something about the Antioch church, about the, excuse me, Antioch. Antioch is 300 miles from Jerusalem. Antioch was, at this point, the third largest city in the world. Rome, Alexandria, Egypt, and then Antioch. It had a population of 500,000 people. It had a main roadway, highway, through the town that was four miles long. It was lined in marble. It had colonnades, marble colonnades, for four miles on that road. And this was the only city in the world that was lighted, that road was lighted at night by lamps, by fire lamps. It was lighted at night. 
But it was also one of the most sinful cities in the world. Every act of sexual de depravity that you could ma imagine was there. Uh, prostitution was prevalent. All types of depravity was there because it had become a commercial center. It was as if you would come across New York City 2,000 years ago. Okay? And yet, and somebody said Chicago. Yes. 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 That's the point. You know, when we sit here and we read these stories, I don't know. When I was a kid and I read these stories, I just think of a bunch of people walking around in sandals and sheets, you know, and there's goats and sheeps walking around, and I'm thinking of a very simple area, right? You know, you, I'm sure you go through your mind. Forget it. This was an urban centerpiece full of sin. And yet look what the Holy Spirit did. These people from Jerusalem go there, and in their simplicity, powered by the Holy Spirit in this sin-filled place, the gospel explodes. Evangelism explodes. People are brought to Christ. Think about it. Now, news of this gets back to Jerusalem. The church hears about it. And so they say news of this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now, those of you who've heard me speak before know that I love this man. I love this man. This, this man is one of my heroes in the Bible. Barnabas. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, filled with the Holy Spirit, full of grace, full of love. Barnabas. Barnabas wasn't the kind of guy who would go there and say, boy, I don't know how God used you people. You guys are losers. You left us. We were there. Where did you go? I stayed. If I stayed, why couldn't you stay? You left us. He didn't say that. Barnabas is the son of encouragement. And this is another thing which you should aspire to be. Don't be a critic. Don't be the kind of person that gets up and you come out of church and you go, ooh, a choir. Oof. Oh, you know, ah, well, the songs. Where do they get here? Where do they get these songs? All right? Be the kind of person that when you get out of church like you were today and you were inspired, you sit down and you write Hayes a note. Write him a note. Because you know what? The critics write them. They write them. He hears from them. Okay? Write him a note. Let him know how he touched your heart. Let him know how, you, how affirming he is to your spirit. That's what Barnabas does. That's what Barnabas does. That's what the church sent them there for. Go up there and encourage these people. Go up there and encourage this growth. Let's see what we can do to grow this thing. Be a Barnabas in every aspect of your life. Be an encourager. And I have to say something. We have, we have a lot of Barnabases in this class. I can tell you that. We do. We have people who are in so many ways encouraging and helping and supporting. Aspire to that. That's the role of the church. That's truly the role of what we're about. That's what we're about as a BLG. So we can come together and help and encourage each other. That's why we come to church. All right? This is a hospital. You're not coming here to be entertained. This isn't about entertainment. This is about eternal life. This is about you being empowered. You being empowered so you can walk out that door and go home to your neighborhood, to your friends, to the community, and you can change the world just like these humble people did 
who left Jerusalem. We're going to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, I'm so thankful for this wonderful group of people that come out every week, Lord. I ask you to bless them in every way, Lord. We thank you for these words that you've given us. Lord, bless these words. Multiply these words in our heart. Let us reflect on them during this week and give further application in our life as these words grow in our spiritual walk, Lord. And Lord, our prayer, our prayer is that we grow in your way. Because Lord, we want to be better Christians. We want to be your servants. We want to spread the gospel. And so whatever you do, Lord, in every way that you deal with, I ask that you anoint us and help us to further this effort. Lord, we put all of these requests in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen, Amen class. See you next week. God bless you. God bless you.